The Big Sleep by Dave Rudden. Sikavastra, High Judge Akrakan said, a dark and amused finality in his voice. Your time has come. Vastra didn't smile at the joke. She just looked down at the data scale gleaming between them. A little disk of silver circuitry, bright against the cracked, worn leather of the desk. Outside the high judge's window, the upper districts of the city of Vambrace sweltered under red skies. There was a fire burning somewhere, another riot perhaps, not yet crushed by Akrokan's forces. She'd seen the prefects arming themselves for combat on the way in. You're not pleased, Akrakan asked. Even now he could read her. Akrakan had been her mentor ever since she was a lowly cadet, and he was hunting thieves and murderers through the neon caverns of Vambrace's lower levels. She'd been assigned her own first hunt in this very office. A petty smuggler whose name she was ashamed to say she could no longer recall. It was here she sobbed after the Rudoku conspiracy, when she'd thought about quitting the order and it seemed there was no good to be found in anything. And it had been Akrakan who had convinced her otherwise. In this job, he had said, good is prey to be hunted. It doesn't come easy and it doesn't come to you. You have to find it yourself. Vastra owed this ancient, bent-backed reptile a lot, and it was a little sad to see the hard-won awards and certificates on the walls packed away, as if even this office too was old and shedding its scales. It's just strange, she said finally. Vastra hadn't accessed the data scale yet, but she knew exactly what it was an electronic key containing her name, her rank, and duty as a seeker of truths, and then a string of digits and letters that marked her place in Vambrace's vast hibernation complex. She had seven days from accessing to decide what would be done with her home and belongings, and then she would step into a stasis pod and go to sleep for a hundred years. They were calling it the crisis, though Vastra always thought the word was too dramatic. Long-range sensors had picked it up at first, a rogue asteroid that was going to brush past the Silurian homeworld, dragging away its atmosphere, leaving the whole world lifeless for a century. Many solutions had been discussed since then. The military talked about deflecting or destroying the threat. The priesthood railed against the idea of disturbing the natural order. Civilians disbelieved it, or fled into space on great arc ships, or turned to or on each other. It had been a busy few months until the leading science advisers submitted what would become known as the response. They would abandon the surface. They would build hibernation complexes. The Silurian race would wait out the disaster in stasis, safely asleep, frozen in time, until the atmosphere returned. It's a damned relief, is what it is. Akrakan said, leaning back in his chair. He seemed smaller every time she visited now, his head crest graying with age, the skin tightening back from his lips until it felt like she saw too much tongue and fang. 
I can't wait to get mine. <laughs> get some sleep. <laughs> he barked a laugh, and now Vastra smiled, because she didn't like to think about him laughing alone. Laughter in this job, she had been told, was important. And then Akrakan looked out of his window, and his smile disappeared. I know why we are the last to get them. The peace has to be kept while all remaining citizens take their places. But soon, the only reptiles left awake in the city will be the blood gangs. And that isn't the vambrace I want to live in. You say that like you're happy to leave it to them, Vastra said. I am. He responded simply, the blood gangs are already at war. Rebel groups from the northern jungles have been spotted within a day's march of Vambrace. When the complex is full, the defences will come online and there'll be yesterday's problem. <laughs> the old world is ending, Vastra. We are going to wake up in a new one. A better one, I hope. It's only a hundred years, Vastra said. I think we will probably still be in this one. You're too young to be that cynical, he said, and activated the window shutters, closing out Vambrace with a click of a switch. A fresh start is just what our society needs, a way to leave behind the old traditions and build something beautiful. His voice softened. I know it's a lot to take in, he said. Go home, meditate, let things sink in. I still have some paperwork to... Akrakan laughed again. Paperwork? <laughs> oh, Fastra. As serious as when you were a cadet. <laughs> it's all being closed down, set in stasis like us. Just take the last few days off. <laughs> Visit old places. Get your head straight for the big sleep. That's the best thing you can do right now. You're right. Vastra lied and picked up the data scale. Thank you. The city of Vambrace was a hot and smoky warren, far deeper than it was tall, delving four full miles into the earth's crust to drink deep of its geothermic heat. Only the richest districts, Apex, Goldenrod, the spire break where Akrakan's prefectory stood, protruded above ground level. Underneath was a gigantic cavern that held the city proper, neon red and silver against the black stone, connected the surface districts by a spider web of walkways and transit tunnels. Vesta watched it grow larger through the window of her travelling cage, the wrought steel sphere plunging down from cavern roof to floor, along the topaz line, so fast it felt like she was falling. She never grew tired of this view, but more and more she looked at it like a hunter examined a crime scene, marking the healed scars and the new wounds, looking for clues as to what might have led to this chaos. 
as if it wasn't being announced from the cage-mounted screens over and over again. The greatest challenge of our time. Have you considered our new stasis cubes for pets? Scientists say less than a century's sleep. The Topaz line was one of Van Brace's main thoroughfares, and the looping path it took across the cavern gave Vastra ample opportunity to note the marks of the crisis. Normally, the line was packed at this hour, with groups of sullen miners or bright-clad youths with chains swinging between their crest spikes. Now she was the only Silurian in the rattling cage, and the only signs of life below were the smoke and flames of gang fights and riots. The only thing that did please her was the green. The jungle had only reluctantly allowed Van Brace's construction in the first place, and now everywhere Vastra looked, she could see it reclaiming that which the Silurians had left behind. Vines were curling down the cage's tubing. The dark tunnels, the transit cage, occasionally swept through, were lit by luminescent fungi, and roots could be seen in the bedrock on the other side of the glass. We'll have a lot of work to do, Vastra thought, when we wake back up. Her home was a modest affair, just a set of basalt cubes with light strips across the ceiling and walls. It was intended for a family, a perk of her rank as seeker of truths, and so she had one extra cube that she used as her office, with hooks on the walls for armoured bodysuits, the civilian gear she wore rarely, if at all, and the sword that gleamed from its rack like a shard of cut glass. There wasn't much indication of a life well lived, Vastra knew that. There were no souvenirs or keepsakes, no signs that a person did anything here but sleep. She ate at the mess hall in the prefectory or grabbed things on the run, because running was what she did. Vastra was a seeker of truths. Prefects kept the peace, high judges judged criminals, but Vastra's job was to hunt. She was an investigator, a tracker, Curative, not preventative. The others under Akrakan's command tried to prevent crimes, but Vastra found those who committed them and did what had to be done to make them stop. The hunt was not everything to Vastra, but it was most things. She didn't see a problem with that, and yet it felt strange to know that all of this was going to be put away. She sat underneath her wall-mounted work terminal, and began skimming through communications. No personal messages. Her sisters had gone to sleep weeks before, and her few friends had done so as well. She scrolled through the security announcements and the citywide safety updates. Wild pack of Deinonychus detected, Insector 1-9. Capture and release teams deployed. New hostilities erupting between Redcrests and brandish more blood gangs at Junction Emerald. All citizens to avoid. Vastra was not a soldier. It wasn't for her to keep the peace in that way, and yet it hurt her to see the chaos. It was not the way of the Silurian to hide their wild nature. There was no strength in pretending you were better than the beasts with which you shared the world. Strength came from accepting your wildness and turning it to good use. Silurans didn't hide what they were, 
but they did control it, and now all of that was going away. Akrakan's words came back to her. It's all being closed down, set in stasis, like us. And then something caught her eye. The case had been filed just an hour ago by someone in the gutworks, the lowest level of Vambrace, a warren of tunnels where the poor, and the poorer than poor, worked the mines and factories that now churn day and night for the response. The gutworks had never been safe, even in the best of times, but now law only existed in pockets. She checked who had filed it. Ah, yes, a young blood, barely two years on the job. Eager, too, when their comrades were no doubt planning to sleepwalk their way into the hibernation. Eagerness did not buy you friends. Vastra could have told them that. As serious as when you were a cadet? Vastra switched off her terminal and went to get her sword. Thank you for coming all the way down here. Vastra could smell the newness on the prefect third-class Eliphraz. He must have been barely out of the nest when the crisis was announced, and now here he was, a skinny little reptile, in two clean clothes, nervously pacing the morgue as she gently lifted the first blanket back from the body underneath. You sent this case to me specifically, Vastra said. Seekers were usually assigned by high judges, not requested by prefects on the ground. Why? You weren't my first choice, Eliphras said and then cleared his throat. I mean, I mean, I submitted a request through the proper channels, but there was no response. And I know seekers like you have dealt with blood gangs before. She looked at him sharply then, though she should not have been surprised. Prefects loved stories, and there were plenty of stories about seekers. They worked alone. They answered to no authority but their own, and that of their high judge. Prefects protected, but seekers hunted and that hunting sometimes led them to work alongside rather than against criminals in the service of tracking their quarry. And you are investigating this alone, Vastra said eventually. What about your squad, your commander? Eliphraz sighed. Oh, right now, most of my comrades are focused on getting their data scale and going to sleep before the bullet finds them instead. He eyed her a little bashfully. Don't tell them I said that. Vastra didn't say anything. It made sense. Why rush to file those reports? Why rush to clear out cases that were all going to be put in stasis anyway? Why are you here, then? Who was he? She said, pulling the sheet back further. Do you know? Dedic Moore, Eliphraz said. Record as long as my tongue and... He indicated the red tattooed head crest. No wonder they're up in arms, Vastra said. The Redcrest don't let the death of one of their own go unpunished. That's the thing, the young prefect said. He wasn't anymore. What? I mean, he was clean, Eliphraz said. Hadn't run with them in a decade. I think he was managing a kitchen in the gutworks for those who didn't have the money for food. That suddenly made the whole thing sadder. Vastra could see the long scars of blade fights across Vedic's arms, the scar tissue around cheek and eye, and all old, all healed. The life he had been living for the last few years had not been violent. And someone had killed him anyway. What makes you so certain it's not a grudge from the bad old days? Vastra asked, laying the sheet back in place. 
Redcrests make enemies. They're good at it. Eliphraz blinked. Does that mean we don't investigate? Vastra didn't have an answer for that. Instead, she asked to see the next body, and the next, and the one after that. Eight criminals, some reformed, some decidedly not, had been hunted down and slain in the last two weeks. Never the same way twice, which in itself was a message. The blood gangs out there like to sign their work, kill in a way that would be recognisable. Here, though, it was poison. It was falls. It was sabotage transit lifts. It seemed that the goal was not to send a message. It was simply to take their lives. There's always a connection, she said to Eliphraz before she left him worriedly, pottering around the run-down morgue. Find that, and we find our quarry. Back at her terminal, she accessed the Prefectory's database using a far higher level of access than Eliphraz's. Vedic Moore had been busy in the weeks before he died. His personal communications lay open before Vastra. She couldn't access much more than the subject's heading of each message without a high judge's sign-off. But one phrase kept coming up again and again and again. The shipment. What shipment? she said aloud. Drugs? Weapons? Three of the dead criminals were on the recipient list. Had Vedic fallen back into his old ways? Was the shipment some new scheme or old score? Was that why he had been murdered? Does that mean we don't investigate? Computer! She said, search all active case files for recent mention of a shipment. Missing, stolen, en route, anything at all. The terminal's voice hadn't changed. Of course it hadn't. But something about it felt more dull and tired, as if even it was winding down. Information not found. Explain, Vastra said. She knew there were cases there. She'd filed many of them herself. Information deleted in preparation for societal hibernation. Vastra hissed in frustration. Of course, all of society was shutting down. That was the simplest explanation for the murders as well. With law and order failing, no, not failing, just sleeping. It was likely some criminal was taking their chance to hunt down their enemies. It would be inaccurate to say that Vastra made her decision then. In truth, she made it the second she'd contacted Eliphraz instead of finding her stasis pod and letting the whole thing rest. There is no new world without fixing the old world, she said to herself and reached for her sword. You have to hunt the good. The gutworks, a miles-deep maze that hung under the cavern of Van Brace like the tentacles of a poisonous jellyfish. Nobody really knew the full extent of the tunnels. There were the mines, obviously, the dark, dank holes where precious minerals fed the engines of empire. Only the miners had mapped those, and only because there was wealth at the bottom. But for every mining shaft, there had to be access tunnels for maintenance and vent networks for power and air. And then there were just the caves 
a thousand sub-caverns and pit camps where the poor and forgotten slept and ate and dreamed of the sun. That was where Vastra walked now, in armoured bodysuit and hunt mask, its heat sensors painting the darkness red. There was a system for things like this, places where messages could be left. The blood gangs all hated each other, and they hated the high judges. But that didn't mean they didn't talk. There were deep places where they even mingled on treaty days and ceasefire festivals, though it felt like those times were long gone. It was part of her training to leave Vambrace sometimes and make her way out into the jungles beyond. Vastra did it more than most. There was something pure about it. The hunts there were not complicated, no bureaucracy, no paperwork. You hunted and you hid and you stayed one step ahead of the creatures hunting you. Some of the newscasts, those that still ran, anyway talked about how Vambrace had become a jungle. But the fact was, it hadn't. In the jungle, everyone would have just done what they had to do to survive. She made her way through moisture-slick tunnels that neglect had turned into flower beds. Once or twice she heard the echoing gunfire, but it could have been miles or the width of a wall away. The acoustics made it impossible to know. Eventually, she reached a crossroads. Eight tunnels feeding into a circular cavern hung with chained platforms and walkways, a handful of grav lifts drooping where their batteries had nearly given out. Vastra had always thought of it as some sort of rusty heart, for its shape and the tunnels leading away like arteries. In the centre of the chamber was a four-storey tower of iron scaffolding, its original purpose was forgotten, but now it bristled with dozens of wreaths, Gempenny and Deadfinger, Dagon's Thistle and Acrimony, all flowers from the jungle outside and all deadly, tributes to those gang members who had died. Vastra scaled the side of the tower easily, taking care not to dislodge any of the flowers. She'd leave her message here. The Redcrests would find it, and if someone was killing them over the shipment, they might even tell her what it was. Fastra. It was Akrakan on her comlink. He sounded even more tired than before, and a little harassed. Hi, Judge. What are you doing? I'm getting updates that you haven't handed in your weapons or uniforms. That you're requesting archived files. Your sleep is in five days. Why aren't you preparing? He didn't sound harassed, she realized. He sounded angry. Eight murders in the gutworks, Vastra said, easing herself over the railing and onto the third floor of the structure. I can upload the files when I get back. Someone is targeting blood gang members. There's talk of some shipment of what I don't know. This might be why the blood gangs are at each other's throats. It suddenly occurred to her that if she found the culprit, they might stop fighting each other. So? Vastra stopped. A chain was swaying up ahead. In a draft, had a grav lift dropped a few feet? Repeat, sir. So what, Vastra? Her voice echoed around the rusty heart of the chamber, so acid it surprised even her. 
Someone has murdered eight Silurians, High Judge. Shouldn't we find out why? Akrakan's voice was heard. Eight criminals. That doesn't mean they should die, Vestra snapped, and then composed herself. Apologies, High Judge. A long silence. I know you don't want to leave work on the table, Vastra. That's admirable, really very admirable. But you are not going to solve this in five days. And even if you did, there may not be anyone to bring the case to court. Hells, there may not even be criminals left to try. Everyone's getting their data scale, Vastra. Everyone's going to sleep. You should think about whether you want to do the same. The link went dead, and Vastra realised he was right. She had five days left in this world. Was this dark tunnel where she was going to spend them? She pulled off her mask to look around one last time, and then something wet hit her cheek. Vastra was moving before the second drop of saliva landed, flinging herself over the railing and down the three-metre drop to the second-floor deck with a blade out. A moment later, the entire scaffolding structure rattled to its core as a fully-grown Deinonychus crashed down where she had been standing moments before, leaving dents in the corrugated floor. There were myths about Deinonychus. There were myths about all the dinosaurs with which the Silurians shared their world. Brachio, the old father. Theropod saint, the souls of the dead living on in the dinosaurs that walked and crawled and flew. It was half the reason Vastra and others like her went out and hunted among them in the hope their spirits would mingle and live on in the jungle's heart. But you didn't hunt with Deinonychus. They hunted you. They hunted everything. They were smart and cruel in a way that animals shouldn't be. This one's long head pivoted on the S of its neck to stare at her first with one eye, then the other, as if it was giving her a theatrical view of its serrated teeth, the long sickle claw on its foot, like a timer ticking down. They ate you alive if they caught you. Vastra remembered that from her lessons, and as a low growl sounded behind her, she remembered they usually hunted in packs. Vastra was ready for the second Deinonychus as it came, pelting out of the shadows, tail out and high, head low and straight, so its whole body formed an arrow seeking her heart. It gathered itself and bounded at her in a leap that crossed the six metres between chamber floor and platform like it was nothing. Vastra threw herself sideways, the whole structure swaying, and the thing chittered what might have been a laugh. Vastra didn't even think about fighting. She rolled under the second floor railing, a heartbeat ahead of snapping jaws, and fell hard to the decking below. The two dinosaurs barked at each other, one going left, one going right, closing off her options with military precision. Is this because of the crisis, she wondered, because wondering about that was better than wondering if she was going to survive. She discorded Silurian scientists out into the jungles before, so they could tag dinosaurs with non-lethal control nodes that kept them from wandering into Vambrace. Had those controls been shut down? 
The city was being abandoned to the hungry jungle. Was it now inviting the predators in too? All the way down here? She got to her feet and bolted across the chamber floor, turning the movement into a somersault that just managed to outpace the first creature as it grabbed for her. She spun through the air, slid down its back with a rasping brush of scale on scale, and then twisted as she landed so the second missed her with a sweeping rake of its claws. The predators stopped snickering then. It was chilling, now they were silent. All intent and hunger, one growling to distract her, while the other prowled out in a wide circle so it could come at her from the blind side. Misdirection, distraction. It was how she and Akrakan had worked back in the day, and it was still effective now. Vastra was unable to plan or gain ground, too concerned with keeping both attackers in her view. Predator behavior, which made sense. But what didn't make sense, which itched at her own predator's mind, was why they were here. Plenty of easier places to get prey. Plenty of prey between here and the jungle, even. And they had come to her? Misdirection. Sometimes you might not survive a hunt. Vastra had always wondered if she'd know that time when it came to it, and what she would do if it did. Now... She knew. With a flick of her wrist, she disarmed herself, sending her blade spinning upward in an arc of silver. The eyes of both Deinonychus couldn't help but follow it. That was what predators did. And then Vastra's right foot caught the first dinosaur in the snout. There had been nothing in any of Vastra's training about engaging a fully grown Deinonychus in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Presumably the recommendation was not to do it. But Vastra didn't intend to win this fight. She just needed to... The surprised animal honked, rearing back to clutch at its snout, and Vastra slid underneath it and got a good look at the base of its throat. There was a little scar and a blinking red light. Vastra stared at it for a fraction too long, and then jaws closed on her boot. A third Deinonychus dragged her body out from under the first, and only her armour stopped her from losing her foot. It wrenched its neck and flipped her, and suddenly Vastra's face was in the dirt, pinning her in place. Hot breath blasted across her neck, saliva rained down, turning the dust around her to blood-red mud. No sleep, then, she thought. Akrakan will be disappointed. And then suddenly the weight was gone. The Deinonychus landed beside her, head lolling, eyes rolled back in its skull. Its arms and legs kicked spasmodically, and that claw frantically tap-tapped, as if signalling for help. Weakly, she rose to her knees. Systems in her bodysuit were already stopping the bleeding from her back, but she knew she'd be feeling the bruises for weeks. Elifraz! She rasped. The other two dinosaurs were down as well, all lolling and shivering. I told you not to follow me! He didn't. Vastra looked up. The gantries and the podiums above were crowded with figures. No two of them were the same, clad in dinosaur hide and chainmail, bone quills and flamboyant headdresses. All were armed, and all wore masks. 
not as high-tech as hers, but marked with crude runes and violent splashes of paint. Every one of them had a spiked red crest. We did, their leader said, and then raised his rifle and fired. The skyline was burning. High Judge Akrakan filed the last of his reports, resisting the urge to go to the window and work out what exactly was burning. The clouds were low over Apex tonight, billowing magenta and mauve where they were painted by the light of the fires. That was how he thought of the city now, a painting, an illusion. The real Vambrace was underground, tucked away in the blue-lit cathedral of the hibernation complex like diamonds in velvet. Everything else was just a distraction. Akrakan was good at filtering out distractions. He'd been doing it a very long time. Some Silurians spent the night before their sleep with their families. Some indulged in wild celebration, despite the medical advice. Some visited their priestesses or medicated or obsessively checked their arrangements. Akrakan hadn't done any of that. His family was here. He'd chastise Vastra for it. But really, there was nowhere else he'd rather be, right up until he closed his eyes. He was about to call for his driver when a message came in over the comm system. I judge, this is Prefect Gotta at Sentry Post a 1C. We're under fire by unknown. Booms crackled over the link, eating the Prefect's words. Akrakan heard the whip and crackle of beam weapons, frantic shouts as the sentries tried to repel the threat. Akrakan's fingers danced across the keys of his terminal, bringing up live images of the prefectory. The blood gangs, the red crests, the brandish moor, even the jungle rebels, all cooperating. I judge, Gotta's voice came again, low and urgent. There are too many of them. They know. Akrakan did not waste a moment. He was out of his office by the time Gotta's tense request for orders became desperate pleas for help. And in the elevator by the time the link went dead. By the time the red crests had breached the prefectory, he was out into the red darkness of Vambrace. The old skills never left you, not really. And Akrakan had made a lot of effort to keep them sharp. He found his secret stashed armor, a pair of curved dack blades, and a pistol with a full clip. Akrakan kept the prefectory at his back, keeping to the shadows, making his way to a, a mostly forgotten set of lifts that connected Apex to a part of Lower Vambrace. A whole regiment of prefects wouldn't have braved. Nobody saw him, nobody heard him. But for the fires and the whooping alarms, as far as Akrakan was concerned, the whole city may already have been asleep. It took a little under two hours to arrive at the hibernation complex, and the sight of it eased the tightness in Akrakan's chest. In contrast to the weathered redness of Vambrace, the complex was a fortress of steel and blue light, set into the black basalt bedrock. Many of the high judges had demanded it to be built in the apex or goldenrod, or somewhere safe, but Akrakan had argued that the deeper it was, the safer it was from the crisis, and they had layered enough defences into the perimeter that no gang would be able to scratch it. Akrakan felt his scales prickle as he approached. 
The complex looked more like a prison than the most important building in Van Brace, an impression underlined by the dozens of wall-mounted cannons that activated as he neared the gates. Produce data scale for entry, citizen. The voice blared from hidden speakers before repeating itself in a variety of Silurian languages. Akrakan held his data scale up, and with a click, the gates opened. The inside of the complex was just as functional. Offices, more security checkpoints, a reception area where, in busier times, attendants would have led whole families down to their stasis tubes. Now the white-painted corridors were empty, the lights brightening as he walked beneath them and dimming again as he passed. Akrakan's stasis tube was two levels down, between a set of tubes belonging to a minor family of eight and an instructor in ritual dance. It was all very equal. He'd chosen it himself. Too many of the elite had rigged the system so they were in the areas close to the medical bays or behind extra layers of defence. That went against the purpose for Akrakan. They were all in this together. Besides, nobody would look for a high judge down here if somehow the rebels and blood gangs managed to get in. The stasis tube hinged open as he activated it. They designed them to look like eggs, reassuring to a Silurian that was where they'd come from after all. Akrakan threw his pistol in and then looked down at his blades. He wasn't sure if he had room for them, but no hunter could ever rest easy when unarmed. Well, sacrifices have to be made. Good evening, High Judge. Vastra said behind him, and then her blade was at his neck. Vastra! Akrakan didn't try to move. He knew how fast she was, faster than him, certainly, but soft. He knew she would not hurt him, and wondered if she was aware of that herself. Thank the gods! I thought the Redcrests... The Redcrests have their own grudges, Vastra said evenly. I'm... Helping them with their inquiries. You're helping them? Akrakan spat. He couldn't help himself. Their prey. We hunted them. We brought them to justice. Vastra hissed back. That was the point of the hunt. All deserve justice. All are protected by it. All are subject to it. Even you. His blades were still in his hand. How did you know? I didn't, she said. Not at first. The blood gangs fighting over some mysterious shipment. Retired criminals falling back into bad old habits. That's nothing new. Nothing to go on. And then the Deinonychus found me in the tunnels. At first, I thought it was random. A failure of the control nodes that keep predators out. Just another symptom of the crisis. But if that was true, they'd have just killed whatever they could find. That's what Deinonychus do. And instead, they found their way into gang territory. As if they were hunting. So, I checked their throats. Neural control nodes still active. Uh, malfunction. 
Akrakan said carelessly, subtly adjusting his grip on his blade. You're risking your career over a malfunction. The Redcrest saved me, Bastra said, and I asked them what the shipment was. What could be causing all this trouble? What was plunging the whole city into unrest? And what did they say? Akrakan asked. He felt the old predator in his heart wake up. So I can rest easy. Vastra's voice was soft. They said a high judge had blocked their shipment of data scales. They wouldn't have added anything to the new world we're building, Vastra. One quick reversal of the blades, a backward stab. It might not even be fatal. Akrakan didn't want to kill her. She was good at what she did. They didn't add anything to this one either. Why do they deserve a second chance in our bright future? You were going to leave them to the crisis, Vastra said. No data scale, no hibernation, that's murder. And that's not even counting the people you did murder. Did Vedic find out what you were doing? Nobody cares what happens to some criminals, Vastra, Akrakan said smoothly. Vedic, though, he was reformed, a community leader. If he'd gone public, people might have listened. Just another fraction of an inch. Her mask crackled with an incoming message, and Akrakan took his chance. The blade spun in his hand with the speed of a much younger warrior, and Akrakan slammed them back into where he knew she would be. Vastra gasped, and Akrakan looked down in disbelief at the blade tip poking from his chest. You really are very fast, he said, and then suddenly his knees didn't work. Vastra didn't waste a moment, and Akrakan didn't resist. He was too bemused by the pain to question why she was placing him in the stasis tube, folding his limbs up around him like he was a hatchling being tucked into bed. I'm quite sure I missed all your vital organs, she said briskly, and it was only because he knew her that he could tell she was crying. But just in case, the stasis tube should keep you alive. The Redcrests have the evidence they need from your office. All your hunts, all your victims, what you tried to do. No, magistrates, he burbled. No, jury, left awake. Not yet, she said, and activated the tube. Sleep well. What did you do after that? It was late. Jenny was curled up under a rug, her head on Vastra's chest, and Vastra absently plucked at her hair, marvelling at its softness. Hair. Honestly, Silurians didn't know what they were missing. I worked, Vastra said. I worked with Eliphraz and the Redcrest and any gang or prefect who would have me. I found out how he'd used his influence and contacts to block the blood gangs getting their data scales. And when I was sure the case was watertight, 
I uploaded it to every single database I could access, so that the first issue on the desk of every Silurian magistrate would be the prosecution of the murderer, High Judge Akrakan. And then I tried to help Vambrace. Akrakan was determined to get his better world, so I decided to get it for him. The crisis was still coming. I couldn't change that, but I could try and get as many of the reluctant and the fearful to trust the process as I could. I missed the seven-day deadline on my data scale, and then a second, and then a third. And it was only on the day that Asteroid entered our atmosphere. I found my own tube and went to sleep. And they're all still sleeping, Jenny said, millions of years later. Do you ever think about waking them? Her smile wavered a little. Start that better world. I don't know how. Vastra said honestly. It would be the work of a lifetime, and that's not my purpose. I am a seeker of truths and a hunter of criminals. She leaned in and kissed Jenny's brow. And I've found the good in the world I have.